Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Uh, you know, the point of checkers is to eliminate all the pieces on the board, right? It's everything's fair game and you try to eliminate all your opponent's pieces. The point of checker or chess is a little bit different in that you're only trying to eliminate which piece? The king. We're trying to eliminate the king. And when you play checkers, it's interesting because the actions you take are usually predicated by the moves you see right in front of you. He jumps you, and so you jump him and, or her, and then uh, you set yourselves up so that you can get king. But all of the action is right in front of the pieces you're watching. The difference in chess is the actions you make can be predicated by moves you don't see. And oftentimes, you're looking at a chess board, and you're focused perhaps on your king, and then your opponent is setting up a strategy on one end of the board, and then all of a sudden, because your attention is diverted, because something is happening over here, something opens up on the other side of the board that you didn't see coming, and all of a sudden, there's an avenue for something to take place that you never saw coming. That's kind of what's happening in Acts chapter 8. There are actions that are being taken place that, first of all, don't make sense, and secondly, open up other opportunities we may not see right at the beginning. So today, the scattering continues. We've talked about that word. We are going from Samaria to Ethiopia today. We're in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. You can follow along on the screens or in your bulletins or in the Bible app as, uh, if you would like. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and, what's that next word? All right, let's say it like we didn't wake out of bed, that we are rested, that we are telling our children to get out of the house, ready, rise and, what's that word? Toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, right? The angel of the Lord tells Philip, you need to leave, and this is where I'm taking you. If you're following in your notes, right off the bat, oftentimes God's plan will make no sense to us. Isn't that a great way to start off our Sunday morning? (laughs) Oftentimes, God's plan will make no sense to us. Now, as we kind of make sense of or put in context Acts chapter 8, we left off a couple of weeks ago, Philip was bringing the gospel to Samaria. This was a very big deal. They were in Jerusalem. They were preaching in Jerusalem. They were holding services. Thousands and thousands of people are being saved. What's interesting as you go through the book of Acts is for the first few chapters, Luke is doing a really good job of taking attendance. He says in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are saved. Acts chapter 4, another 2,000. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, he just gives up. He just says many, many more people. And for the rest of the book of Acts, they rarely keep uh, uh, track of numbers because so many people are coming to the gospel. But this is all happening in Jerusalem. And when we get to Acts chapter 8, the scattering starts. In other words, they were gathered for so long when the church started in Jerusalem. Now they're moving on their borders, moving on beyond what's comfortable. They're going out into their uh, uncomfortable zone, as it were. Now they're going into Samaria. And we see this is a fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus told them, you're going to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, 
and then into Judea, and then into Samaria. In other words, we are not supposed to stay here very long. We're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we're empowered, we're going to scatter. So that's what's happening. Philip goes to Samaria. He sees people get saved. He is uh, utterly indispensable. Yet at this precise moment is when God calls him to leave. Now, I got a map up here. I don't know how well it'll show up. Uh, Later, when you watch the service, you can kind of get a better idea. But I would encourage you to kind of look up an Old Testament, a biblical map of this area. Uh, Jerusalem is right smack dab middle of the uh, slide here. This is where everything is happening in the first few chapters of the book. Philip then travels north to Samaria. You see where he's going? all the way north, uh, right under that heading, Samaria. He's there for, we don't really know how long, but in verse 26, the angel says, rise and go toward the south. So he went north, and now all of a sudden, God and the angel of the Lord is asking him to go 180 degrees, go uh, south towards Gaza, towards the south, completely opposite of where he was. Again, oftentimes God's plan will make no sense to us. He moves and he, he starts uh, arranging our life in some unusual ways. If you're following in our notes, if we want to see God move in unusual ways, we may need to meet God in unusual places. It's interesting to me that there is a fruitful ministry by all accounts by Philip here, but God directs him to go in the opposite direction. And on the surface, we could ask ourselves, what could be more foolish than to leave a place of prosperous ministry and go to a desert road? The angel of the Lord, by the way, doesn't have much sense of a humor. He says, I want you to go south. This is where you're supposed to be heading. By the way, this is a desert place, Philip, just so you know. You're going where there's not a lot of resources. You're going to a place that's going to be difficult, Again, sometimes when we are looking at life, we make our moves or we make decisions simply on the basis of what we can see right in front of us like checkers. Something happens in our life and we respond and we do something to counter or to respond to that event. Someone uh, comes into our life and we respond. All the moves are right in front of us. This is an example where God is orchestrating some events that we don't see, that we don't know about. And he's bringing two people together. It's pretty beautiful. Let's keep reading in verse 27. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to where? Jerusalem to worship. So again, we're in the second phase of the book of Acts, which means we see the plot line develop of the gospel going into all the world, but we're also seeing these characters being introduced. Uh, We see Philip is introduced. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. We see the name of Candace. This is a title for female royalty in Ethiopia. When they reference Ethiopia here, they're referencing modern-day Ethiopia, but a much larger area than modern-day Ethiopia. Uh, This is the land where the queen of Sheba came from, who saw the glory of Solomon's kingdom uh, years ago. She professed faith in the God of Israel. And so it's possible that the pieces of Jewish faith were passed on through centuries from the queen of Sheba. 
We're also introduced to this Ethiopian. He doesn't have a name, and so we're going to reference him as the Ethiopian. Uh, He's a successful man. Uh, We're going to see in a minute that he was reading a scroll. Uh, We learned when we started the book of Acts, that means he was probably pretty rich. Scrolls were incredibly expensive. To have a written copy on a scroll of Scripture would have been really expensive, and so we know he's a successful man. He looks like he's getting some answers to life as he was seeking to go to Jerusalem to worship. And so on this desert road, Philip encountered an Ethiopian to, uh, that was a convert to Judaism, returning from Jerusalem, <clears throat> who was also reading the Bible. How improbable is all of this? I think what's interesting to me is this. The Ethiopian was also moved and directed by the Holy Spirit as Philip was moved and directed in the Holy Spirit. There's going to be times in our life where God moves and leads us, and in the prism of our own perspective, if that's all we're able to grasp is our perspective, we're going to say, God, this does not make a whole lot of sense. Lord, Lord, yeah, this is exactly opposite of what I prayed for. You ever have a moment like that? You're praying for something and you're in the exact opposite position. And yet for Philip, what this meant was leaving Samaria, leaving somewhere prosperous to come south to Gaza to meet someone who desperately needed to meet Jesus. And that's what we see, or we, uh, see happening. Let's keep going in verse 28. It says this, uh, he was returning He was seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, you already practiced once. What's this next word? Over and join this chariot. Now, it took real boldness for Philip to go right up to the Ethiopian's chariot and to speak to him. And yet, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit told him to do. Here's Philip. He's traveled to this place. He sees an Ethiopian riding in a chariot, and the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go. Now, Philip has a couple of opportunities here. He could say, oh, no, I think you're mistaken. That's definitely not him. That can't be him. I'm on foot. He's on a chariot. He's clearly not from here. He's Ethiopian. I'm sure you have someone else in mind. Um, He could have have responded a number of different ways, and yet he was bold in his faith. When's the last time you could say our faith was bold? What I mean by that is this. When was the last time God said, go, and you went? When was the last time God said, ask this person how they're doing, and you went and did that when's the last person you were uh when's the last time you were with someone and god said um you should pray with this person and you just obey the holy spirit and said can i pray with you right now uh when's the last time you saw someone who was struggling or in need and and god said give him some money give her some money buy him some groceries do this do that when was the last time god said go and we went. Here's two times so far in the book, uh, or in this reading that we've done in Acts chapter 8, 
that God said, go to Philip, and he just built on those pieces of obedience. Now, the Ethiopian was a rich man. He was probably a man of power, man of influence, and yet Philip knew he needed to meet him because Jesus said so. Let's look at verse 30. He says this, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the Isaiah, reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now, what's interesting here is it was common in the ancient world to read aloud. Uh, Philip knew what the Ethiopian was reading because he was listening to what the Ethiopian was reading to. Philip knew at the moment that God had opened a door and prepared a heart for him. And plainly, God had arranged this meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian. If you're following in your notes, God directed Philip because God had already arranged a green light. Excuse the typo, by the way. That's my mistake. And green light. That doesn't work. A green light. Philip because God had directed Philip because God had arranged a green light. Uh, how great is it when you get all green lights, by the way? Right? I feel like this is a modern-day miracle for us. Right? I love that I live like four minutes away from my office. Um, I love that when there's traffic, it takes me six minutes to get to work. Um, and yet there's something really awesome that when I turn onto Harvard and I get to that intersection where taco time is, where the light goes green. And I get a little excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. And I think... All right, there's two more lights. There's two more lights. What are the chances? You ever find yourself late going to somewhere, and all of a sudden you start bargaining with God? Right? Like, Lord, if I can get the next four lights, I promise I will. And then you fill in the blank with something, right? Say, Lord, if I could just get the next three lights, next two, one, okay. Ah, red light. I'm not doing it, Lord. I told you I would only do it if I got the green lights. Wouldn't it be great if all of our life had green lights, yellow lights, and red lights? Um, wouldn't it be great if that when you were really watching your weight and food became available, in your mind's eye, you could look at that food and identify green light, yellow light, red light. Green light, just have it. Red light, don't do it. Yellow, be cautious. Be cautious when you eat this. Uh, for those of you who are single or might be dating, wouldn't it be great if you could just have a green light, yellow light, red light when you're dating? And maybe you're in front of this person. All of a sudden, there's a big red light. And you know in the moment, don't go any further, right? Uh, what if you are, um, you're, at a, uh, you're picking out flights uh, for a trip? And wouldn't it be cool if there was a website that just gave you green lights, yellow lights, red lights? Green lights is, this is the perfect flight. There's no delays. I can promise you there's no delays. You'll get your baggage. Everything's good. Yellow's like a little risky. If you want to be a little adventurous, take this flight. And then red, like you're not going to get your luggage. You're not going to get to that country. You're not going to ever come back. <laughs> red lights. Don't do it. I had a mentor of mine um, years ago teach that when approaching someone about Jesus to assume a green light in every conversation about Jesus Christ. Move forward with the conversation about Jesus Christ as if you have a green light. And as you do, 
The Holy Spirit will illuminate you. And then if there are light in your mind's eye or in your heart as the Holy Spirit leads you, switches to yellow, you can be cautious when you talk about Jesus. And if it goes to red, you can pause. Now, to be clear, this is the exact opposite about how most of us go through life. Most of us go through life assuming the red light when talking about Jesus Christ. And in most of our relationships, whether they're work or whether they're friends or even family, most of us will go through life assuming a red light when it comes to talking about Jesus. And so the byproduct of that is we never share the good news about Jesus. Because in our mind's eye, there's a red light. In our mind's eye, we're being cautious. In our mind's eye, we don't want to be offensive. In our mind's eye, we're playing it safe. And so we're going to assume a red light until someone comes to me and says, Daniel, please tell me about Jesus. And even in that moment, we get a little cautious. What would it look like if we just approached our conversations assuming that the light is green, that we have this opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. One of our great opportunities in sharing the gospel to people we know and to love is to simply pray and work with the mindset that there is a green light when talking about Jesus Christ. Philip was this evangelist. He knew how to flow with what the Holy Spirit led him to do. Twice already we see the Holy Spirit saying, Philip, go. And he just goes. He just obeys. In the moment, he assumes the green light from the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And because of that approach, let's see what happens. The conversation begins. Look at verse 30. It says this, Philip ran to him and heard him reading, the Isaiah, reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now, here's the thing. It was good for the Ethiopian to read the Bible, but there was an understanding that needed to happen here. So in verse 31, Philip's, or, or the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Uh, help me out. Is this a green light or a red light? This is green, right? This is a green light. You get to proceed forward. This is the proper question of anyone who wants to understand the Bible. How can I until someone uh, guides me? Deep spiritual truths don't lie on the surface. It's wonderful when we can come to understand the great truths of the Bible on our own. But one of the reasons we gather together on Sunday, one of the reasons why we study the Bible, not just read the Bible. One of the reasons why we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible often is because there are these deep spiritual truths that don't lie on the surface. They require you to dig. They require you to roll your sleeves up, as it were. They require you to do some deep spiritual digging in order to grab these truths. By the way, isn't that way it should be from a book that's divine? Right? This divine book begs us to dig deep and to study it on our own, to study it in small groups with people and to study it together on Sundays. Here's the Ethiopian, and he's reading, and he's getting a casual understanding perhaps, but he understands that he needs to dig deeper. To get more understanding from our Bible, we've got to plunge in. Um, I heard this comparison once that butterflies wander over flowers in the garden but bees plunge in deep, and they are the ones that carry away the essential food. 
And as think similarly for us, we don't get anything if we just hover around our Bibles. We need to dig right in. We keep reading in verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. I'm sorry, verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Now, in God's wonderful planning, the Ethiopian is reading specific prophecies from Isaiah 53. Verse 33, he says this, In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The the prophet Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Verse 34, the eunuch, the Ethiopian, said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Help me out. Green light or red light? Yeah. He's asking him questions about the passage. Now, regarding this passage in Isaiah 53, we're talking about the suffering uh, servant. and, And Isaiah will go on to explain what that means. And it leads us to Philip preaching. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. And began with this scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. Look at that verse again. Philip opened his mouth. Where did he begin? With this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. This is going to be a common theme that we see in the book of Acts, but Philip began with the common ground he had with the Ethiopian, the part he was reading, and then led him to Jesus. Now, Philip talked more about this passage from Isaiah, but he started there. He began with the common ground. Now, here's the thing. The whole Bible points to Jesus in one way or another. And we can really begin at any passage and find where it leads to Jesus. Philip took this opportunity in Isaiah 53 and talked about the suffering servant, this one who would be denied his own, uh, his own self, this person that would give up his liberties, who give up all of his righteousnesses, give up his place in heavenly throne in order to become a man so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. Philip preached Christ. We get to verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said... See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Help me out, green light or red light? Right? The Ethiopian himself was ready to respond. This was a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not about Philip's salesmanship per se, but here's the Ethiopian. His heart is definitely sensitive to the things of God. He's reading scripture. God orchestrates for uh, Philip to be available. Philip listens to the Holy Spirit uh, say, go twice. He obeys both times. He gets in the chariot. He proceeds as if there's a green light in this conversation. And he does so to the point where here's this man who's hearing about Jesus, the crucified, the resurrected Savior, And in this moment, he says, well, what prevents me from being baptized? Maybe Philip even ended the explanation with the presentation of what baptism looked like. Now we come to verse 37, and in the screen we have this verse that says, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. Now we're going to press pause on the message really quick because I want to explain something here. Now, our Bible is translated in multiple, multiple translations. And what you'll notice if, if you have an a ESV translation in your Bible or maybe another translation, uh, verse 37 is missing from your Bible. In fact, in your translation, it goes from verse 36 right to verse 38. 37 is missing. So I want to explain why that happens. This is another great reason why we go verse through verse by verse through the Bible, it's to explain these conundrums on why this happened. So this verse, verse 37, did not occur in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. They didn't appear until four or 500 A.D. in a manuscript. It was, verse 37, it was written by a scribe who was doing the translation several hundred years after the fact who wanted to explain why the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. Now, here's the thing. There was other uh, documentation of this event. Scripture does not include every word that was spoken between two different people. It's just impossible, right? There was no, uh, there was no iPhones to record. There was no FaceTime to have these conversations. There was no Facebook timeline to go back and say, what did he say again? So it's impossible for them to have recorded every single word and in fact, uh, if they tried to record every single word, uh, the Bible would either be really, really big or have several volumes, right? So one of the things that happens here in verse 37 is uh, when we see this kind of discrepancy, and you say, well, how does this Bible leave out verse 37, and why does this translation have it in there? A couple of questions you want to ask yourself as a student who studies the Bible. One question is this, does the meaning change? Does the addition or the removal of the verse change the theological uh, narrative? Does it change the, the, the movement of the story at all? Does it change who Jesus is or who God is? Uh, and if it doesn't change any of those things, the translators then have this opportunity to make the decision on what gets included and what's not. Now, here's the thing. The translators don't hide it. In fact, if you look at your Bible, most of the time, verse 37 has a star indicated, right? And there's going to be a footnote somewhere in your Bible that simply says, this verse doesn't appear in the earliest transcripts. I just wanted to point that out because... Primarily, we're using the ESV translation as we go through the book of Acts. In fact, next week when we look at Saul's um, conversion in Acts chapter 9, there's, one of, there's another one of these verses where there's a little discrepancy. Here's Philip's response to the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian asked this question, Why can't I be baptized? What hinders me? What prevents me from identifying with Christ? What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from experiencing what you're talking about? And Philip's response is this. Well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Don't you love how simple Philip makes it? Could you imagine if Philip said, well, this is what you got to do. You got you to wear a button-up shirt, first of all. <laughs> right? You can't wear white shoes. Someone told me this morning I shouldn't wear white shoes. So you know what I did? I was going to take them off, but I'm wearing my white shoes. 
this, uh, this idea that you have to do all of these little things. Could you imagine if Philip said, uh, uh, well, yeah, you got to wear a button-up uh, shoes. Uh, you got to wear your dress sandals. Um, you, you, have to, you have to do all of these things. You have to measure up to our social standing. You probably should take a shower before you bap- get baptized. Uh, you should probably measure up to our, uh, what do you believe politically, first of all? What's your stance on Caesar or no Caesar? Where are you at with this? Could you imagine? Now, here's the thing. We, we'll laugh, we'll giggle on a Sunday morning because those, those examples are ludicrous, right? They are. And it, our temptation is to apply those standards when people want to come to Christ. Philip makes it so simple. What prevents me from identifying with you, Philip? That's what the Ethiopian is asking, right? What is preventing me from identifying with you, this body of water that also identifies me with Christ? And Philip says this, man, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian's response is this, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everything else, the way you live, uh, all of the other things happens in the moment when the Spirit comes inside of you, when he, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden you have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. But this moment is all about this. Do you believe with all your heart? And I love the Ethiopian's response. He says, well, let me think about it. No, he just says, man, I believe. I believe. Now, here's the thing. We may intellectually know that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but do we know in our hearts that he died to cleanse our sins? The confession of faith is what it takes. This is essential for anyone who will come to God. We must believe in the person of Jesus, what he's done for us, what he's done for us as the Christ. We must believe that he is the divine son, that he is the son of God sent by the Father to live a sinless, perfect life so he could be our sinless, perfect sacrifice. We simply need to believe that on our own, we're not worthy. On our own, we could never, ever, ever measure up. On our best day, we come woefully short compared to who Jesus is. Jesus is, and so by his stripes, we are then healed. And so we must say, like the Ethiopian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And here's Philip's response and the Ethiopian's response, verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Such a beautiful verse. This idea that there was nothing more important than getting baptized. There was nothing more important important than to identify with Christ. Verse 39, when they come up out of the water. By the way, if you notice the verb is there, they went into the water and then they came out of the water. The word there is this word, uh, the baptized simply means to be immersed. You go into the water and come out representing your life before Christ and then coming out your life after Christ. Uh, Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I don't understand what's happening here. I'm going to be honest. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Uh, We're going to baptize someone next Sunday, and I'm super excited about doing it. Uh, wouldn't it be awesome that as soon as they got baptized, the person baptizing them put them up, and then that person just vanished? 
Could you imagine if that happened? That's what's happening right here. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. By the way, today there's a great legacy of Christianity in this region. Persecuted Christians, uh, if you Google or look up Coptic Christians, you'll be able to trace their spiritual heritage back to this Ethiopian uh, official. Verse 40, we see this, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So suddenly the Spirit of the Lord carries Philip out. He goes to another place. Again, this whole uh, process of uh, them scattering is happening. Um, we don't get to follow what happens with the Ethiopian, but I can't wait to get to heaven and meet him and say, so then what happened? What's the next chapter look like? Because he goes back to Ethiopia, and then there's this long legacy of Christianity because Philip's obedience to God twice. God said, Philip, why don't you, why don't you go from this place? Philip goes. He sees the chariot. Philip, why don't you go to this man? And he goes. And because he takes the time to do that, all of a sudden the trajectory of history is changed in that region because of his obedience. I want to end here. Ephesians chapter 5. I don't believe it's in your notes, but it's on the screen. I would, I would ask you, if you have your Bibles, turn to your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and if you don't, write this verse down. Um, I want us to kind of settle our hearts on this, these two verses from the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul is writing these verses to the church at Ephesus. And in those days, after uh, an apostle would write a verse or write a letter, it would go to the church, and then the church would hire people to duplicate those letters. And they would put them on scrolls, and then they would send those letters out to multiple churches, multiple gatherings of followers, so that they could all hear the wisdom and the benefit of the apostles or who might be writing these letters. Uh, so in a way, that scroll has then since been passed to us as we get to read this letter. Let's read these verses together. Ephesians 5, verse, 16, uh, verse yeah, 15 and 16. Ready, begin. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let's start here. The days are evil, aren't they? So St. Paul's exhortation to us is to do two things here. Number one, he says to walk circumspectly. Uh, you can see that word circumspectly. You can see inside that word perhaps uh, the word circumference, right? It's this idea to walk as you look all around you, right? Don't walk like a fool, but keep an eye out everywhere you're walking not as fools would walk, because fools wouldn't be able to perceive dangers that are coming ahead, but walk as a wise person would walk. And then he gives them this command in verse 16. What are those three words? Redeeming the time. How does one redeem the time? This phrase on the surface doesn't make sense. How does one redeem the time? 
Now, one of the Greek words for time is chronos. Everyone say chronos. Chronos time refers to the 24 hours you have in a day. It's given to us in equal amounts to every, every person. It's chronological. Uh, I, I'm sorry, the word chronological, you can see in that Greek word chronos. Uh, we can't add to it. You can't take away. No matter how many times you want to add two hours to your day, you can't. We all get the same amount of hours. We get the same amount of minutes. It's dictated by the physical universe. Uh, if you're rich, you have 24 hours today. If you're poor, you have 24 hours a day. All of us are given this exact same number of seconds every day. Uh, in fact, when you say redeem the time, that doesn't make sense. How do you buy back time? How do you buy back the 24 hours that you've spent? How do you add to that time? Well, there's two words. There's a Greek word that's chronos. The other word that they had is a word called kairos. Everyone say kairos. Kairos is this redeem time. When we invest our chronos time in acts of service, of love, of stewardship, of rest, of worship, we transform it from chronos to kairos time. When we're driven by the things of this world, the desire to grow rich, the thirst to amass possessions or wealth, the, the hunger for position, pride, influence, power, we're stuck in this frantic desire to hold on to Kronos time. And like the picture there, time just kind of goes through our hand like sand would. And it's constantly slipping through our fingers. So what does it look like for us to take our Kronos time and fill it with Kairos moments? Because here's the thing. Each one of us today will spend our time. Every one of us will spend our time. Some of us will go out to lunch afterwards. Some of us will take the customary biblical Sunday afternoon nap, as it were. Uh, some of us will watch television. Some of us will go to the park. Some of us will, will all spend our time, but few will choose to fill it with Kairos moments. So when you think about this time that God has given to us, it is one of God's greatest gifts. He puts it in place from the beginning of creation when he created morning and evening, in essence, created time for us from his very words, let there be light. And by creating us in his image, he intended us that we fill our chronos, our chronological time, our hours and our minutes with these kairos moments. So this is what Paul means by redeeming the time you redeem that chronos time for these kairos moments as many of you know i was born in india and i was raised in southern california um i moved to oregon almost 20 years ago next march will be 20 years i've lived in oregon um and i feel like an oregonian when i was growing up my dad would go to india several times um it felt like once a year as we were growing up and that's when he would take his vacation and as he would uh, go to india over the years uh different uh siblings got to travel with him and so i remember the first time i got to go to india i was eight years old i wish you could have met eight-year-old daniel <laughs> so full of life so full of hope so full of hair 
I loved that trip. I loved it. I loved that I got to go on a plane. I loved taking off. And uh, if I memory serves me correct, I think we landed in Malaysia first, and we had a few hours in Malaysia, um, and then we went into India. Uh, back then, when you flew, uh, when you try to travel to the region we're in, we're in the second most southern state in India, Andhra Pradesh. So if you're looking at the map, we're way near the south. And when you would travel there, you would travel to uh, to Chennai, Madras, and uh, you would go through customs and get off the plane, and then you would hop on a train. And uh, on the train, you would travel, and I want to say it was like eight or ten hours by train. Um, and on the train, uh, when I was eight years old, I remember that trip specifically because I got to have Kool-Aid. <laughs> like my mom packed Kool-Aid for me, right? It was horrible. <laughs> like you remember 30 years ago what Kool-Aid was like? You had to add sugar to the Kool-Aid mix. I didn't have sugar. I just had the Kool-Aid mix. So I remember the first time on the train, I thought I get to unpack and I put the Kool-Aid mix in the bottle water, and I shook it up, and I took a mouthful, and it just, <laughs> like no sugar whatsoever. I didn't have a Kool-Aid the rest of the trip. Um, funny story, I, I like going to India when I was eight years old, too, because you get the bottled soda, and you'd go to the stand, and you'd get a bottle of soda, um, and then you'd get to drink it. I didn't know you had to return the bottle, so I remember one time I got to get a bottle, and then I just turned around and started walking away drinking it, and the guy's just losing his mind, and I thought I did something wrong. I forgot you have to drink it there and just give him back the bottle, so we did. Um, but the train, uh, the train was dangerous. There's thieves on the train. You had to be really careful. So we would travel in the most expensive car carriage cart that you could. Uh, sometimes there was air conditioning, sometimes they weren't, but you were able to lock the doors and, uh, and do those kinds of things, and you would go into the, the carriage cart, and there would be a bunk there, a bunk there, and then spaces to put your luggage. And when I was 16 years old, we went with our pastor at the time. And by 16 years old, when I went, I knew I wanted to preach. I knew I was going to college to preach. Um, and so my dad told me on the trip, he told me to prepare some messages, I was just super stoked, man. I prepared like four or five messages. And when we got to India, he would let me preach them and he would translate for me. One of the great memories I have as a young kid uh, and, and doing that. So, and then I was excited because my pastor was going too. So it was me, my dad, our, our, I was on the top, of course, uh, and then my dad and my pastor. And then there was a fourth bunk and someone came in the bunk. It was, a, it was a young man who was traveling. He was Indian. He knew a little bit of English, but he knew uh, one of my dad's languages that my dad knows. I remember being on that trip, again, eight or ten hours, we're probably going to sleep most of it, and my pastor took the opportunity to share the gospel with this young man, and the young man just didn't receive it, didn't make sense. He grew up Hindi, uh, with the Hindu religion, and none of what my pastor said resonated with him, and I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go to bed, so I went to bed. They were still talking a little bit. Then my pastor went to bed. And my dad was there, and they just started talking back and forth. I couldn't quite understand it because the, the language I grew up with was Telugu. Um, and I can understand a little bit of Telugu, but I couldn't speak it. But they weren't speaking Telugu. They were speaking Hindi, uh, which is a different language. And my dad knew and traveled enough in India that he knew Hindi. And he started talking to them. And I fell asleep with them just talking. 
I remember the next morning we were getting ready and the, the, the young man was in a hurry. He had to make another connection and we were going to stay on the train. And the young man left. We're having breakfast there in the train, I think, or eating something. Not Kool-Aid at that point, I'm sure. <laughs> but we're eating something. And my pastor was just talking about, um, boy, he just felt like he missed the mark in sharing the gospel. I just missed, like, what, what could have I done? What could I have done to share differently? And um, he was just kind of lamenting, perhaps, the conversation of the night before. And my dad said, he accepted Christ this morning. My dad stayed up with him all night, just talking to him about life, just talking to him about what hope there was in Jesus, what it looked like to have a relationship with a God that was living. And to be clear, because my dad is Indian, of course, there were so many cultural connections that my dad could make in sharing the gospel that even I was just not equipped with, nor my pastor at that time. And I think about this idea of what does it look like to take your chronos time that you're going to spend anyway and fill it with kairos moments. And I think about my dad who just knew he was going to spend those eight hours one way or another. And he was going to spend them one way or another. He could have spent them sleeping and resting for the long trip ahead. And he just chose to invest that time in a Kairos moment. We have these opportunities all the time. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit whispers to us, go. So many times in a day. And it's up to us to have the courage to respond, to silence the noise of whatever else is going in our mind, right? To just be able to hear the Spirit's voice and then say, okay, at some point today or tomorrow, God's going to come, the Holy Spirit's going to come and whisper to you, and he's going to tell you, you should ask that person how they're doing. And you will have the opportunity to spend your time one way or another, to spend it with your to-do list and what you have scheduled, or to entertain this interruption and invest a Kairos moment with someone and say, hey, how are you doing? You seem a little off. And just listen. At some point this week, you are going to have an interruption, and it's going to feel like the end of the world. By the way, who's working VBS this week? Put them up, put them up, put them up, put them up, put them up. I'm not going to ask you to stand because at the end of the week, you're not going to be able to stand. <laughs> we are going to have interruptions this week. And we will have the choice to walk through those interruptions like we're just spending our time, like sand going through our fingers. Or to take those interruptions and say, this is a Kairos moment. There will be a parent that picks up their kid late this week. <laughs> right? And we're going to have the opportunity at 12.17 one day this week, 17 minutes after pickup, to just boot that parent right out the door with their kids. Or to say, did you have a rough day? Did you have an interruption in your day? Do you need to sit down for a minute? Is there something we can pray with you about? There will be a moment. There's going to be a moment in your family this week where one of your kids says something or reacts the same, a different way, 
and it won't be loud, and it won't be boisterous, but there will be a shift in their demeanor, a shift in their voice, something that doesn't make sense. And in that moment, you can choose to spend your time like you would, going about the rest of your day, going about the rest of your evening, or you get to have a kairos moment where you invest and say, I'm going to love my child right now because I know something's happening. Now, there might be a moment this week where someone comes to you and say, Daniel, what must I do to be saved? And I'm telling you, if that happens, you should, you should hear all of us saying, green light, green light, go, do it, let's do it, run them to the river, let's go. But for most of us, it doesn't look like that. For most of us, it's going to look like these still, small moments where the Holy Spirit simply says, go. You ever have someone pop into your mind unexpectedly, someone you haven't thought about, someone you haven't talked to, someone you love, a friend. And that's a Kairos moment where the Holy Spirit is said, hey, you should call this person. You should text this person. Paul said this, you need to walk circumspectly. Walk as if you got your eyes out for everything. Not as a fool rushing from one thing on your to-do list to the next thing, to the next errand, to the next meeting, to the next thing, by, bypassing everyone. But walk circumspectly as a wise person. And the reason you're doing that is so you can redeem these moments. You can have these moments where a friend needs you to visit, where a call that you need to make encourages someone where a letter that you write really uh, forges a relationship this is why we have the care team where we have opportunities to write someone or to call someone there's going to be opportunity for you to ask someone for forgiveness for you to have a talk with someone for you to mentor someone for you to be generous with someone because here's the thing we all will have 24 hours of time how much of that will you decide to transform into this redeemed Kairos time? Philip took his Kronos time and he just filled it with Kairos moments. He's in Jerusalem and everything's going awesome and the Holy Spirit says, hey, you should go to Samaria. Go where? We hate them, Lord. We, we hate them. They took our land. They live in our land. They're, they're half-breed Jews who are pretending. There's no, no. Uh, where, where, where again? Perhaps you stuttered, God. Where did you want me to go? No. He said, okay, I'll go to Samaria. People come to the Lord. All of these people come to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, go. I need you to move again. This time go down south. We look at that map and we said, oh, he went there and then he had to go here. Yeah, he had to walk down the trail. He had just spent all that time walking. Now he's down south. Go. There's a man in a chariot. Go. Speak to him. And then after he does that, for this one Ethiopian, the Holy Spirit carries him away. He says, I got something else for you. You, you obeyed when I went to Samaria and you walked. You, you obeyed what I told you to turn around and go down to Gaza. This time I'm going to give you a free lift, Philip. I'm going to take you to your next destination. Philip took his Kronos time and he filled it with Kairos moments. 
May God help us to do the same. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, as we consider our time, as we consider what it looks like to spend our time, I think we all recognize there are moments where you are speaking to us about things that would interrupt our day, Lord. A phone call that would take too much time, a text that seems inconvenient, an act of generosity that seems wasted. And Lord, in those moments, we are tempted to just ignore the call in our life. In fact, if we're being honest, we got things to do, we got people to see, and we couldn't be bothered with those opportunities. Lord, I think in my own life, I'm praying that you would just help me slow down my pace in my life. Let me walk circumspectly, Lord. Let me walk fully aware of what's around me, what's in front of me, the people, the opportunities. So that in my rush to accomplish much in a given day, I don't miss opportunities, these kairos opportunities you have in front of me. And what I pray for myself, I pray for our church, Lord. We have a busy week ahead as a church family, Lord. We have kids coming first thing in the morning. And it's going to be exciting and fun. It's going to be tiring. And there will be these moments, Lord, I believe that you're going to call us to where there are these kairos moments where we get to invest and love and serve and be generous. There's going to be afternoons where we're tired from the day we've just had and you're going to give us a kairos moment. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you cause us to be uniquely aware of your Holy Spirit's voice. I'm convinced the reason you whisper to us is because you're standing there right with us. Every moment of every day, Jesus promised that you would be with us. So in these everyday moments, Lord, may we be specifically aware of your leading. May we turn down the noise of whatever's going on in our head so that we could hear your voice. Oh, what a beautiful voice it is to hear from the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that those would be the moments we experience this week. Kairos moments, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.